we're going through the book of First Timothy. First um, Timothy is uh, is one of the. Anybody know what type of what we call these epistles? First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Anybody know what we call them? What are they? The pastoral epistles. That's right. Seventy-seven points to Sheila right there. So. <clears throat> Yeah, they're, they're the, the pastoral epistles. They, they group these together. And they were written somewhere between 62 and 66 AD. And they're probably written in the order of 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. That's probably the order. And I, I want to recommend something. For, for any book of the Bible, if you want to get a really good overview for it, just go to BibleProject.com and check it out. They've got these videos on there that do fantastic overviews. So highly recommend. Go check out 1 Timothy. It's a, it's a good way of getting a good overview as we're going through it in detail. All right, so uh, just to kind of get us into where we're going today, um, so t- Paul's writing this book to Timothy. He's writing it. It's a letter to his dear son in the faith, but it's also meant to be re- read publicly. Why? Because he's dealing with, with false teachers, and he's trying to say these are false teachers, and this is sound teaching. And he's contrasting these two throughout the whole book. And these false teachers, what are they doing? They're using the Bible to teach myths, to teach speculations, to teach false connections to God. So they're using the Bible, but they're using it wrongly. And, and, and he says sound teaching is this. Sound teaching is when you have a real inward faith that's demonstrated by an outward life of love. He says, sound teaching, he says, when you look into the Bible, one of the things you're going to see when you look into the Bible is a perfect good God. And when you see a perfect good God, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates the utter corruption of the human heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And Paul says, if you, if you want an example, look no further than me. I was that wicked person. I was the foremost of all. But, but sound teaching says that though our sin, though our corruption separates us from God, it's our unbelief that keeps us from God. And by, by our faith, our trust in Jesus, the good news of God, the grace of God overflows us. Isn't that what we sang about all morning? The grace of God overflows us and he gives mercy to all who believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And he says, listen, if that is an experience you've had, it'll lead to praise in your hearts. Paul breaks out and prays right in the middle of the letter. He just, he, he, he stops right in the middle of the letter and begins to praise. So that takes us into where we're, where we're going to go this morning. He says, when you know that, when you understand that, and so the, the, kind of the title for the message this morning would be this, fight the good fight. Anybody heard that before? Fight the good fight. No, it's a metaphor. It's not talking about going out and putting the gloves on and actually, you know, so put that aside. Pastor Mark didn't say to go out and get in a fight somewhere. But there is a real fight. Wage the good warfare. And so there are three points, uh, Lord willing, we're going to look at this morning. Number one, for our faith to be real, we must fight for our faith. Number one, for our faith to be real, we must fight for our faith. Number two, there is a call to sacrifice. And that sacrifice is that we give our lives to focus on God as the subject and the object for service to others. And then number three, uh, we're, we're getting to where he begins to talk to men. And he says to men this, he says, the purity of your life should look like the sincerity of your prayers. The purity of your life should look like the sincerity of your prayers. So hopefully that's, that's uh, we're gonna, where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to turn over, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Timothy. We're going to start in verse 18. So fight the good fight. For if our faith is going to be real, we must fight for our faith. Let me, let me, before I get into it, let me put it this way. How many of us have had a bad day? 
I mean, it's been a bad week. I mean, a bad month. But a bad year. But wait a minute, I thought like God blesses us in everything. One of the things the scripture teaches us is this, is we can enter into the grace of God, the blessing of God, and have a joy of our salvation, and also go through very hard and difficult things. They're not opposite one another. What it calls us to do is to hold on to that faith and fight for it through those things. Let's look at the text. Here's a, here's a, here's a, he's talking to Timothy. He's, Timothy, this charge I entrust to you. Timothy, my child. You hear the endearment. At the same time, he's commanding. This is a, this is a command. I'm, I'm commanding, but I'm, he's, also, he's also doing it to one he loves. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. You fight the good fight, some translations will say. Hold, what does that mean? Holding on, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now notice something in this text. Notice something. Look, it's, Timothy was what? Was Timothy called of God? Yes. He, they, they, you'll find out later. They called him. They sent him aside. They lay hands on him. They anointed him. People prophesied over him. And the calling itself was not good enough to sustain him. The calling alone is not sufficient to sustain us. Many of us here had, a, I know in my own life, I had a profound experience when I came to faith in Christ. Everything changed. My eyes opened up. I understood and saw things different. God did powerful things in my life, but the calling alone will not sustain us. And that's what he's telling Timothy right now. He says, uh, uh, for our faith to be real, we must fight the good fight. What does that look like? What does that look like? So somebody once said this. He said, I'm here to tell you right now, marriage is hard work. Anybody married here agree with me? Marriage is hard work. Now look, now think about it for a minute. What, what would it be like if two people came to the altar, made the covenant vows, and then walked, and then were not interested in focusing on one another, but focused on everything else in the world? What kind of relationship is that? In order to have a good marriage, you have to what? You have to put intentional, purposeful effort into that relationship. If you don't put intentional, purposeful effort into that relationship, if you start putting that effort and intention into other relationships, what's going to happen? You'll shipwreck your marriage. You'll shipwreck it. Well, it's the same thing with faith. Faith is something we must purposely, intentionally work to live out in that, that love of God that we've internalized. That love of God, that moment we received his grace, that moment we understood that forgiveness. I now have to work that out. Really? What, is it, what does Paul write to the Philippians? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not saying works for your salvation. It's saying work it out. It's saying work for it. Work it out. Put the tensional effort of your life into it. What will happen when you do? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. If we're not cooperating with God, we're not giving him anything to work with. Did you catch that? If we're not cooperating with him, we're not giving him anything to work with. There are four responses, four faith responses to the gospel. Jesus tells it like this. There's a parable, he says. He says, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a sower, a farmer, and he went out and he sowed seed. Some of that seed, it fell on this path. It was hard, 
and, it, and, and uh, the birds came and ate it, and it went away. He said, but some of this seed, it fell over here, and this soil was rocky. It had rocks underneath. And so it came up, but as soon as the sun came out, it scorched it because there was no, the, the roots didn't go down. But some other seed, it fell among the thorns. And, and in the thorns, it came up, but as soon as it got up in the thorns, the thorns choked the life out of it. He said, but then some seed fell on good soil. Good soil, and, and, and yeah, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, the disciples, they, they heard that parable, and they go, okay, all right, it was nice, it was good, I like the parable. What does it mean, Jesus? What does it mean? And there's different uh, um, passages. I'm using the one in Luke here, in Luke 8. He says, now this is the parable. The seed, that's the word of God. Now, the ones along the path are those who heard the word of God, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Notice he tied salvation to belief there. But notice he's saying the devil stole the seed. Why? What is it? What's going on there? It's an individual who's not even going to bother putting any effort into discovering and seeing is this true. They're not going to hold on to it. They're not even going to bother. They're not even going to check to see. That's the first faith response is no faith, unbelief. Number two. What does it say? And the ones on the rock, the seed, uh, uh, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. Notice that. They heard the word and received it with joy. Oh my goodness, the grace of God is so amazing. The grace of God, I'm forgiven by the, 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 uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? But they have no root, no character. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As soon as it gets hard, as soon as it gets difficult, it's like, well, I didn't, you know, Lord, you know, I thought you were blessing me and everything. Number three, and as for those that fell among the thorns, seed that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the word. So they heard it, they grew, the gospel had fruit in their lives. But as they go on their way, they are choked, how? By the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Other places, it talks about the deceitfulness of sin. What did God say to Cain? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. And then finally, there was the fourth one. As for, for that in the good soil, that they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast. What happened? They heard the word and what? Hold fast. You want to know how to have fruit? Hold fast. With an honest and good heart, bear fruit with patience. Fight the good fight. What kind of faith do you have? Are you even investigating at all? When it gets hard, are you saying, I'm out? Are you saying, well, I want God and... Or are you saying, God, I don't understand some things. Some things don't make sense to me. Sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes it gets difficult. But as the disciples said to you, Jesus, where else do I have to go? You have the answers of life. Don't allow your faith to shipwreck. He said to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. When we reject, holding on, when we reject living this out, 
Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. What? Fight the good fight, number one. For our faith to be real, we must fight, we must fight for our faith. So the question becomes, how do we fight? Before I hit that, I just want to touch one thing on that last verse, and that is this. The shipwrecking of our faith, Paul is telling to Timothy, is in his hands, is in our hands. Now, will the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God meets us when we step towards him. It's not all on us, but it's up to us. It's a choice and decision that we make. The, the shipwrecking of the faith, these, two, these individuals that he were talking about here, these were false teachers who literally had come into the faith and began to use the scriptures wrong in teaching things and were leading others astray. And by the way, when it says he turned them over to Satan, that's, that's not something weird. Simply what it means is he disfellowshiped them. They're no longer in the fellowship. There was grace extended over and over until the point where they come to, to say uh, uh, they, were, they were errant, they would not listen, they were hard-hearted, they had shipwrecked their faith. Because they're no longer in fellowship. All right, so number one, fight the good faith. For a faith to be real, we must, fight, we must fight for our faith. But how do we do this? How do we do this, okay? So the second point, we're going to get into the next verse here, a call to sacrifice. It's a call to sacrifice, and what does that mean? We focus on God and we focus on others. So he's saying to Timothy, he says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So again, in Paul language, go back one verse. In Paul language... Uh, when he says, I urge you, that's not a suggestion. Paul's, Paul's saying, okay, this is a non-optional authoritative command. What is? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. So it's like every type of prayer you could think of. And uh, we're not going to go into it today. I'm just going to say this. The good fight comes when we, uh, uh, when we bring effectual, fervent prayer before God. What's Paul saying when he says that? The good fight comes when the first thing you're focusing on is God. When you're coming in prayer, you're saying, I'm depending on you, God. You're coming to God. And then, who does he say you're praying for? You're praying for all people. You're praying for kings. You're praying for those in all positions. The second part of that is your prayers focused on God are for others. It's not about you. It's not about you. So fighting the good fight is about noticing the focus. That, but look at the third part of it. That we may lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life. Do you want peace in your life? Do you want blessing in your life? It comes when we first focus on God on behalf of others. Do you see how that works in opposite? So here's the, here's the principle. The principle is sacrifice. When we lay ourselves down for others focused on God, that brings blessing in our life. Just the opposite of what we would expect. Verse 3. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, interesting, that phrase, good and pleasing, right there. When it says, this is good and pleasing, that's actually the language of sacrifice. Sacrifice. 
when you, when you turn, to, uh, turn throughout the Old Testament, you go back to Leviticus, you go back to the various offerings, and you go throughout um, the Psalms. When he talks about offerings, what do he say? He says they're good and pleasing. So what is he saying? When we come with prayer before God, it's like a sacrifice. Remember something about the sacrifices. The sacrifices weren't meant to appease God. The sacrifices, the word korbanot in Hebrew means to draw near to God. To draw near to God. So he's saying when we're praying, we're drawing near to God. He's, he's, he's uh, tying this to the offerings that we see throughout the Old Testament. When you are laying your life down, when you're calling on God, you're drawing near to him. And what does he want us to, to have in that? What's the next verse say? Who desires all people to be saved? What is the heart of God? What's the heart of God? God's heart is he wants all people to be saved. He doesn't want one person to be lost. That's his heart. He's got, Paul is saying, Timothy, do you have his heart? Do you have the heart of God? You know, one of the things um, in talking to a lot of people and dealing with a lot when we talk about the heart of God, I hear people say, well, you know, well, how could a good God send someone to hell? How could a good God send someone to an eternal destruction? Now notice he says, I desire that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, it's not that God sends anyone to hell. It's that we're already on the path for it. You know, the, the, the sin and corruption of the human heart is already on that path. What God is doing is offering the opportunity off of it. He's offering us the way to get off of the path to sin and destruction. truth is we escape the corruption of our hearts when we sacrifice ourselves, when we give ourselves entirely to God and to others. In so doing, we follow the path that he set at the cross. You know, um, as I'm going through this, and the Lord is just stirring in my heart, so I'm asking you to pray for me as I'm as I'm speaking.
I'm going to um, I'm going to read through the text of Timothy. See if you want to follow along where I am. I'm going to read through the text of what Timothy's got written here. I'm going to hold some of the other scriptures for a minute. Timothy writes this. He says, "There's one mediator, there, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time." For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith. Um, How many know this? That uh, if we ask for, if, if, uh, if God said there's a thousand ways to come to him, we'd ask for a thousand and one. You know, uh, can you all follow me if I go down? Yeah. You know, um, I'm go- going through this verse by verse. There's a, there's a lot that is stirring up in me. There's a lot of teaching that's in this. But what's really hitting me is, are we getting the essence of what Paul's trying to say to Timothy in the middle of this? Do you understand what Jesus did? Do you understand he ransomed himself for you? Do you understand that we are so corrupt we have absolutely no chance before God. None. Do you understand that? You see, what, what I think happens is this. Our sin is anesthetized by the evil in the world. We look around us in the world and we go, there is so much evil and horrible things that are going on around us. There are people shooting up schools. There are people, you know, uh, uh, turning children into sex slavery. There are people who are uh, uh, taking organs out of live human beings in order to, to give transplants. And we look at that and we go, I'm not that bad. And the own corruption in our hearts gets anesthetized because we compare ourselves, the standard we're using to compare ourselves is the evil of our neighbor instead of the goodness of God. The standard by which we are going to stand before God is not the evil of our neighbor. The standard by which we are going to stand before God is pure holy goodness who loves so much that he would give his own son for you and for me. That's not a religious concept in a book. That's a real human being who came from heaven to earth and he lived in the midst of this suffering just like you, just like I, in the midst of all of the evil, all of the shame, all of the the backstabbing, all of the rumors, all of the canceling, 
yet with perfect goodness, doing nothing but demonstrating what the Garden of Eden had from the beginning. He healed people. He raised the crippled up. He healed the broken heart. He reached inside of human souls that were destroyed and lifted them up and restored them. And then he did the amazing. He took on all of the evil and malice that the world could throw at him. And he sacrificed his own goodness for you and for me. When it says he ransomed himself, when it says he ransomed himself, what is a ransom? A ransom like when somebody's kidnapped and they want money to, 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 to pay for it. I, I've heard so many people try to, to take and say, well, you know, what kind of a mean, evil God would want a ransom? It's not God who's ransoming us. It's not the devil who's ransoming us. It's your sin and my sin. It's the fact that the wages of sin are death. And without that ransom, we have no life. How many remember the story of Cain and Abel? What's, this, what's going on in that story? Think about it for a minute. You got Cain and you have Abel, right? Cain, it, it, what's it about? It's about sacrifice. Abel took the first part, the best, the fruit, and said, Lord, here it is. He wanted, he understood that point, that I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to take that good part and give it to God, the first fruit, and out of that comes blessing. Cain took the leftovers. And then when his sin was made evident by his brother's righteousness, what did he do? Instead of repenting and turning in his own heart, he killed his brother. He wanted to stamp out the light. I don't want the light that shows how bad I am. That's what we do. I don't want the light that shows how bad that I am. And then what happens? And then it says, the Bible tells us this, that when, after he killed Abel, he says that his blood literally cried out from the earth for justice. His blood literally cried out from the earth for justice. Well, guys, what's ransoming us? Our sins are crying out for justice. Everyone who is the victim and the consequence of all the things that we are done are crying out for justice. It's real easy to say, you know what, I compare myself to this person. And you know what, you are good compared to that. You are good compared to that. But that's the wrong standard. Just because you're good compared to that doesn't mean that your sin and my sin are not crying out for justice in front of a pure and holy God. The scariest thing you can come before is not pure evil. The scariest thing you can come before is pure holiness, pure goodness. Because you got no chance and neither do I. Let me, you see, you see, read this scripture here. You see, here's the thing. We think, we think that I can pay for it somehow. I can pay for it. I can make up for it. Uh, yeah, sure, I've done this, and these were, things were wrong, and these were bad, and I shouldn't have done it, but I can make up for it. I can do this. We get the wrong picture. We're not morally neutral to begin with. You and I are not morally neutral. We were created to be the image of God. We were created 
physically, the reason you're on this earth is to reflect God and his goodness. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. To reflect God and his goodness, which means everything we do in our life has a moral ought. A moral ought to reflect the goodness of God. So what does that mean? Think about it this way. Here's an example for you, right? Anybody ever seen the scales of justice? Who's seen the scales of justice? Justice is standing there blind, right? She have, she's, she's, she's standing there blind as though she's morally neutral. And she has the scales like this. And this is the way we think. We think, well, here I am. You know, I'm morally neutral. So I put something bad I did on this side. Something bad I did on this side. Well, all I need to do is put something good on this side. Something else good on this side. Here's the problem. The problem is this. You and I are morally supposed to be good. So there's nothing you can do that you can put on this side that will benefit this because you're only doing what you're supposed to do to begin with. So it goes like this. Well, I, I just did something I shouldn't have done. Bam. Well, I'll, I'll do this. And make, oh, I'm supposed to do that. Well, I'll make up with it. Oh, I'm supposed to do that. Well, I'll make up with Oh, In the meantime, I put something else over here. Bam. Then I put something else over here. Bam. Then I put something else. Maybe I get a little better at not putting stuff over here. But I can't pay for that. I can never pay for that. Jesus Christ ransomed all of that. Not a holy idea in a book, but a man who came on this earth and reconciled us to God in in space-time reality. All of this is from God who reconciled Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew to, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul said, it's for this I was appointed a preacher. For this I am an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. I am a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. From Paul to Timothy to us, we have been appointed to the mission to fight the good fight, to live out faith, to demonstrate its truth in a well-lived life by the grace of God. A life of sacrifice focused on God as his ambassador, reaching out to others in a ministry of reconciliation. And I'll do this last verse. And so Paul turns and talks to the men. He says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without quarreling and anger. He's saying, if all that is true, then the purity of our lives should, should match the sincerity of our prayers. If all that is true, then the purity of our lives should match the sincerity of our prayer. What is he saying? Notice he's tying prayer here. Men, men. If there's ever a message we need today, it's a message to men. In our society, in our culture, men told they're toxic. Men told just by the fact that you're a man, that you're, you're evil. You don't count. You don't matter. We are destroying our families by tearing up marriages. 
We are telling men that they have no place in society anymore. If there's ever a time that we need to hear a message from men, it's now. Men, you matter. And you matter first and foremost when you turn to God. Because it's from that place you can fight the good fight. You can wage the good warfare. He says what? Lifting holy hands. This is a, it's a metaphor what's going on here. That lifting of holy hands goes all throughout the Old Testament. It's a gesture in prayer. There's a gesture in prayer, lifting holy hands. The priest would do it. It's the way he intercedes, the way he would bless. But it also, when it says holy hands, he references the priest in the tabernacle who would purify his hands when he would go into worship. And so what he's saying, when he's saying lift up holy hands, let's put it this way, in Isaiah, in Isaiah, he, he said this. He said, listen, when you spread out your hands and I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He's con- the, Isaiah is condemning the nation. He said, lifting out hands is a metaphor for prayer. When you're lifting up hands, when you're praying, if you're praying from an evil heart, if you're praying from a heart full of sin, if you're praying from a place of hypocrisy, if you're not treating your wives right, if you're looking to be bound up in the deceitfulness of sin, and then you come along and say, oh, God, help. He says, I'm going to hide my eyes. I'm not going to hear. That's not sincere prayer. Men, God is looking for men who will give their lives to him. Who will lay down a sacrifice. Means holy, lifting holy hands means being actively in work. Working your life. The opposite of guilty, blood guilt, is What? Living lives that bring holiness, that bring good works, that bring good effort, that demonstrate the goodness the, uh, and uh, glory of God in their families, in their homes, in their communities. And he's talking about public worship here. He's not talking about private lives. He's saying this needs to be in public. It needs to be when you gather together. It needs when you stand up. And before he ever talks to the woman, he talks to the men. So that's it. Come on, Lorena. That's it. We're to fight the good fight. We're to fight the good fight. What kind of faith do you have? Are you easily tossed by circumstances? Are you easily caught up in the deceitfulness of the world? Are you even making the effort, Jesus asks? Or are you good soil? You understand that you have been ransomed by the glorious, pure, holy love of God who cares for you. And he has washed away. He has cut off. He has severed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He didn't die because of how bad we are. He died because of how much he loves us. You understand that. Does it make praise rise up in your heart? Men. Are you willing to lift holy hands? Are you willing to to live a life, a call to sacrifice, to focus on God and lay down your life for others, for your family, your wives, your community, your neighborhood, your coworkers? Because that's what it's going to take to make an effect in this world. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Amen?